and free that salvation is take your bible look over the book of luke luke chapter one as we kick off the month of december and as we close in on christmas i i want to begin a series that i've entitled seasons greetings seasons greetings early on in the gospels there's a number of uh, times in which mankind is addressed and contacted uh, by supernatural beings or angelic beings And uh, these greetings accompany the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, if you will, the Savior of the world. And so they're making some season's greetings and uh, reminding mankind that Jesus Christ is on the way. We'll look at um, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds along the way. And today we're going to begin by looking into Zacharias and his wife as they are going to bear the forerunner, John the Baptist. And so let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 1 
beginning in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias, of the course of Abbei, Abbei, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and she both and they both were now well stricken in years. It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Many of the children of Israel shall be turned, shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to shew thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. The people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were, ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked, upon, uh, looked on me to take away my reproach among men. But we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to consider this appearance. We're going to consider the angel coming to Zacharias and we're going to consider what it means and, well, what it means to us even today. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. We need you today. We're asking that you would just work and move in our lives. Father, may we leave here again having the opportunity to meet with you. Lord, may you truly do a work in our lives. Again, fill me with your Holy Ghost. Lord, I am simply your mouthpiece. I have nothing to give to thy people except you give it to me first. Help me, Father, just to be a conduit, a means by which they can receive something from you. Lord, we would waste our time to hear from a mere man. We need to hear from you, the master. So, Lord, do this work in my life and in the lives of each listening ear. Lord, may we hear with spiritual ears and may our hearts be stirred, moved, and changed. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, here in the book of Luke, again, we, are, uh, we see a, 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 an appearance of an angel. 
And again, I'm calling the series Seasons Greetings because we're going to have an angel here that's going to be greeting uh, this particular priest, Zacharias. Again, we're introduced to this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. According to the scriptures, both of them are righteous. They're walking in the commandments and the biblical ordinances. They're blameless in this, uh, this effort. They're literally fulfilling the word of God. They're doing their best to comply with it, and it sounds like they're doing a pretty good job of it, too, based on the fact that he says they're blameless in that. One thing saddens this godly couple, though. One thing truly bothers them and, and, and weighs heavy on their hearts. It's that they're childless. They don't have a child, and that bothers them. And that can be a bother, whether it's in 2,000 years ago or whether it's today, if there's a child that's desired and wanted and you're not able to have it, that can be so burdensome, so difficult to deal with and so hard to handle. And they're dealing with this and they've been dealing with this for a long time. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth was barren, that they both were now well stricken in years. Well stricken in years, it says. Now, that would normally be grounds for hopelessness. I mean, you kidding me? I mean, well stricken in years and, and, and barren at the same time. Well, there's no hope of a child now at this point. Man, you're well past the age to have one anyway. And, but wait a second. They're reminded, and I'm sure as you and I are reminded, of another biblical couple that were well stricken in age, the Bible says, who found themselves in the same boat, and yet God supernaturally provided them with a child. We're probably thinking of the same couple. We're thinking of Abraham and Sarah, who ultimately went on to have Isaac. Seeing that Elizabeth was well past the age of having children, it meant that the only way that her and Zacharias could ever have a child would be if God himself supernaturally provided them with this child. It had to be God. It could be none other than God. And the Bible tells us that they prayed. It's likely that they prayed for more years than many of us have even been alive. They were well stricken in age. They were well stricken in years. They had been living a long time. They'd been praying and begging God for a child. And now, finally, the angel shows up, and there he talks to Zechariah, Zechariah, and he tells him, Listen, I got some joyful news for you. You're going to have a child. Zechariah, the Bible tells us, is troubled. Fear falls upon him. I mean, this isn't the first time angels had showed up. I'm sure that he had read in the scriptures how angels had made their way to earth and how they had passed on messages from heaven. I'm sure he learned about Daniel and how the angel came and gave him insight and wisdom. I know that he knew about those things, but this was the first time that an angel had ever come to him. I don't know about you, but if I was in that uh, holy place, and I'm sure it wasn't too awfully well lit, and it wasn't very well traveled, and all of a sudden I find another person or being there in my presence with me, I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? It would have bothered me too. I'd have been rather fearful. What a surprise. What a shock. But as Zacharias would soon learn, he came with great news. God has answered your prayers, Zacharias, we learn in verse 13. The angel proceeds to tell him, God heard your prayers. Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll call his name John. 
Again, they're well stricken in years. They've prayed for many, many years. And the angel continues by saying, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. We have an angel now from heaven that's sharing some truths, a a revelation, if you will, from on high. This is going to break, uh, if you will, or, or it's going to open up communication between heaven and earth that had been closed for 400 years. There had been no new revelation from God to mankind, as far as we can tell. That for 400 years, since the close of the Old Testament to now, the beginning of what we would often refer to as the New Testament, we now see an angel from heaven coming down to Zacharias and saying, guess what? You're going to have a child, and his name's going to be called John. And what we're going to learn along the way is that the final passages of Malachi chapter 4 and the beginning of Luke chapter 1 are tied together by prophecy. And it makes perfect sense that now all of a sudden God is going to speak. For 400 years, there's been silence. For 400 years, no real communication other than the word of God that was already left for them. No new revelations as far as we can tell. But now all of a sudden an angel shows up. A being from heaven. A God sent angel who now gives this information. Who now tells John, guess what? Do you know that... uh, Forerunner, that person that's going to show up before Jesus shows up, Elijah, he's showing up. 400 years has been a long time of silence, but it's broken now. I mean, Israel has gone through centuries of war. They've experienced so much heartache and sorrow. Through the years, Israel had been kicked around like a football from one end of the field to the other. They were caught in the middle of a battle that waged year after year after year between Syria and Egypt as they fought for power. They had faced the ruthless and just the relentless rampage of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the most ruthless ruthless kings ever, who treated Israel worse than any other king probably ever has, who is a, a picture of the antichrist in the tribulation he performed this brazen act of disrespect he raided the temple in jerusalem he stole the treasures he set aside he set up an altar of zeus in the midst he then went ahead and began to slaughter and sacrifice swine on the altar and of course that is a no-no big time in their culture the jewish culture When the Jews then said, you know what, Antiochus, we can't understand what you're doing. It makes no sense, and we're not going to put up with it. Antiochus said, you know what, that's all right. I'll just go ahead and kill more than ever of you Jews, and I'll sell you into slavery. And then he made it an edict, and he said, listen, I'm going to order you to sacrifice to pagan gods and to eat pig flesh. You know what? The Jews responded in fact. They said, you know what, enough's enough. And they revolted, and that revolt ultimately ended in victory. So in 165 B.C., here's Israel finally having some sense of order to their their worship, and they've kind of gained a sense of self-respect. But that measure of independence was lost because then Rome comes about and Herod and so forth. And here we find ourselves now. 
in Luke chapter 1. With an angel now approaching Zacharias and saying, your wife's going to bear you a child whose name is John. After 400 years, no wonder, he said, thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Why? Because the birth of this John signaled the coming of the Messiah who would ultimately establish his kingdom on earth and elevate Israel in the eyes of the nations and give to them supreme power in the world. After being oppressed all those years, it would only make sense that that would bring joy to them. Concerning John, the angel said in verse 15 through 17, And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts and the fathers of, to the fathers, to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the Old Testament ended with a promise. That promise, the Lord was going to come, but before that, Elijah would come. Malachi, turn if you would to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Just a few books back now. Malachi chapter 4. Because this is where we tie together now. Because what we're going to see is that this Elijah who was promised is ultimately going to be partially fulfilled in the life of John, who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says in Malachi 4, 5 and how the, the, the Old Testament closes out. Malachi 4 verses 5 through 6 Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You see the wording, it's so connected here. What we have is a fulfillment of the prophecy a partial fulfillment in the book of Luke. So what's being spoken of in Malachi as we close down the Old Testament is exactly what the angel is now sharing with Zacharias concerning John. Says, guess what? You know that one that we talked about here that you've read about, you studied Zacharias, the one who's going to come and be the forerunner, the one who's going to prepare hearts and ready minds for the Messiah when he shows up? Guess what? That's going to be your son. He's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah He's going to prepare the hearts and minds of people and ready them for the coming Messiah. On the heels of John is Jesus, the Messiah. It's pretty crazy. For 400 years, not, not... God uttered not one word as far as we can tell. No new revelation, no further prophecies, no contact did he make with mankind outside of the word that had already been provided to this point. The gospel of Luke opens up with an angel appearing to Zacharias. Finally, the long-awaited day has arrived. It's dawned. John the forerunner, the one who prepared the way of the Lord, the one who was crying in the wilderness, that meant that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was not far behind. That's good news. That's a reason for joy. So what about this John the Baptist? 
He's a pretty popular character, isn't he? Probably read about him. You've heard about him. If not, <clears throat> first of all, he's John the Baptist. So if you're in a Baptist church today, you're good to go. <laughs> it's not John the Methodist. He's John the Baptist. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not going to go any further, but let's be honest. It's pretty clear here, folks. Pretty biblical. He wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather, leather belt around his waist. He, his diet was pretty simple, by the way. He locust and wild honey. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty healthy, I'm sure. John lived a simple life. He just focused on the work that was set before him. You know, his ministry began to grow in popularity. It wasn't too awfully long when he started that we started seeing more and more people. In the book of Matthew, turn there, would you? Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Look at that, Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says that then went out to him Jerusalem. Notice again, Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Then went out to him Jerusalem. So it sounds like a lot of people from Jerusalem are making their way out to John now. And it goes on to say not only then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. These being baptized came to John. And when they came to John, they admitted that they were sinners and they said, we're willing to repent of it. Which was, of course, a great way to prepare for the Savior's coming, obviously. If the Savior, the Messiah, is coming, then why not get some things right before he shows up? And that's exactly what John is preaching. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming back, he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is coming, excuse me. He's saying, the Messiah is coming. You've got to prepare. You've got to ready. How do you do that? <laughs> Deal with your sin. That's a good thing to do. And so John made it very clear that he was merely a messenger sent by God to proclaim the truth. And that what his disciples had seen and what they had heard was just the beginning of many miracles that were to come that would be performed by Jesus Christ. His message was simple. It was extremely direct. He said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye. Turn from your sin. Not just acknowledge your sin. Turn from your sin. We live in a generation and a day when everybody admits we're sinners. I mean, that's no big deal. That's whatever. Because it's not even, there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Who cares what you've done? Who cares what you do? Everybody's to be accepted the way they are and for who they are. You know what? You don't have a right to judge me. I don't have a right to judge you. So you know what? You're right. I have a pornography problem. You got your problem. I got mine. I got a moral issue, or I've got an issue with, with this or that. I, maybe I, I, I'm not really honest like I ought to be. I tell little white lies from time to time, or I tell this lie, or I, tell this, or I, I say these kind of jokes, and I do things that maybe not you wouldn't call acceptable, but then again, you don't have a right to judge me. I don't have a right to judge you. You know what? We're all sinners. We all have our sins. So you know what? We live together. We do fine together, and in our culture today, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But you want to tell you something, it's not enough to just confess that you're a sinner, just to say, oh yeah, you're right, I'm a sinner. You've got to repent of that sin. 
And that's what John's trying to make clear. He's saying, repent ye. Why? Because the Messiah is coming back. When, he, when you face him, it'll be different than facing me. When you face him, it'll be different than facing other men or other women. You're going to face the God, the creator of the universe, the one that put you on this planet for the purpose and for a reason. And he's going to have expectations that are even higher than what humanity has for you. He has a Bible that he's written, and in that case, it was the Old Testament. And those Ten Commandments that glaringly stood before their eyes day in and day out. And he says, how do you measure up? And they, they have to admit, we don't. But in their culture, just like ours, it got to the point where it's all right to be a sinner. There's no big deal. We're just all in the same boat. So what's the big deal? He says, it's a big deal to him. And he's the one coming back. Messiah's coming. God, the creator of the universe, he's coming back. You better repent and make ready. Because when he shows up, It'll be a different ball game. And so John, he had a simple message. It wasn't complicated. We all, well, I'm looking for a church that really feeds deep. Why don't you just find a church where you can learn something and then practice it? This idea, why well, just keep learning, preacher? Why don't you start doing? Be ye doers, not just hearers of the word. Deceiving your own selves, he says. I know a lot of the Bible. I still remember years ago when I started Community Baptist Temple just as a young guy. And I think it was, I was very, very young. It was, what, 15 years ago, 10 years ago? <laughs> what are you laughing about? But anyway, I still remember going to work and a lady there at the work, one time I started witnessing to her and trying to talk to her and just invited her to church and, and said, you know, I just... She said, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. And I said, oh, are you sure? You, you got that nailed down? Yeah, and she said, yeah, I'm good. I guarantee you, I, I probably know more of the Bible than you do. And I said, well, you know what? I hope you do. And you know what? At your age, you ought to. I just thought I'd throw that in because she was being kind of, you know, we'll get that little dig in there. She didn't even see what, and I knew it would. And I said, so where do you go to church? Well, I don't. Wait a second, you don't go to church? Well, when's the last time you've been in church? It's been a few, it's been quite a few years now. I said, but you know more Bible than I know. How's that possible? If you really know it, you would do it, don't you? If you really believe it, do you believe it? Oh, I believe it's the word of God then why aren't you doing something about it? She was a hearer, not a doer. Can I tell you, that didn't please the Lord at all. Nice lady, by the way. Loved her to death. We consistently talked. We had good conversation. Man, great. Never could get her to come to church. To my knowledge, she never went back. But she knew more Bible than the preacher. Hmm. I don't know about you, but... That's not the kind of thing God, John was looking for. John says, you better repent. You better get ready because you're not going to have to measure up to the preacher. You're not just going to have to know more Bible than him or, or live a life that's acceptable in his eyes or in the eyes of your wife or husband or family. You're going to have to measure up to his standard. That's a pretty tall order. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Simple message. Very direct. And he's just saying, get right with God because the Messiah is coming. And John knew that. And once 
John knew that once Jesus showed up, too, that his work would all be but finished, really. And that was okay with John. He was all right with that. Matter of fact, in John chapter 3, verse 30, you know what John said? He said, he must increase, I, but I must decrease. And, and what John was saying was, you know what? I'm not here about me. It's not about me. It's about the one that's going to be following me. When he, Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. He needs to be elevated. I need to be humble. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see him. The angel says to Zacharias, he says, listen, I just want you to know God heard your prayers and you're going to have a baby and that baby's name is going to be John. He's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elias or Elijah. He's going to be the one that was promised all the way back there in Malachi 400 years earlier. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's not going to be the big deal, although he'll be your biggest deal. He's not going to be the big deal. The big deal's coming on his heels, and that's Jesus. One of the greatest accounts, turn if you would to Matthew chapter 3. One of the great accounts in the Bible takes place when Jesus comes from Galilee to be baptized by John in the river Jordan. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to see that John felt totally unworthy to baptize Jesus. He did. He just couldn't wrap his mind around it. Man, if anybody needs baptized, I need baptized by you, Jesus. John had undoubtedly heard from his mother Elizabeth how unusual and different Jesus was from others. Remember, his mother and Jesus' mother were cousins. Remember, even Mary goes to Elizabeth's house six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember that? I mean, they're family. So I got to believe that Mary had passed a few notes along the way. Mary had shared a few details uh, down the road. And all of a sudden, uh, I, I, I'm sure that maybe when old John was getting himself into a little bit of trouble, she's saying, why aren't you like Jesus, Mary's baby? They would go to the family reunions when all the kids would all get together. It was obvious that Jesus was one of a kind. When all the other kids struggled to obey, Jesus didn't. When other children you know, were reminded to be right and to do right and to be right, Jesus didn't have to be reminded. There had never been anyone like Jesus. But in the end, John reluctantly agreed to baptize Jesus. Matthew 3, 13 then come a Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Although Jesus didn't need to be baptized, he submitted to baptism anyway, in order to identify with the very sinners whom he would one day die for. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Bible says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He also pointed out that he was being baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. Therefore, he was doing it because it was the right thing to do, and, it was, and he being our great example, set the standard. 
But the most important thing that Jesus' baptism pointed out was his true identity and his inherent deity. Look in verse 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Later on, King Herod would cast John the Baptist into prison for pointing out his open sin. We don't have time to get into what that was, but let's just say the king wasn't very happy. And therefore, Jesus, uh, John's ministry, as well as his life, came to an abrupt halt or end at the hand of King Herod. But you know, John believed in the Christ. They may have been distant cousins, but he knew there was more to Jesus than that. And we can still hear John saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's big. There's no other man taking away the sin of the world. But John knew that Jesus was more than just a distant cousin. That he was more than just Mary's baby. That he was more than just a mere boy or young man or man. Now he was without question God because he was without sin. He takes away the sin of the world. Boy, the angel provided Zacharias with joy that day when he informed him of the truth. Of the birth of his own child, John. It's going to happen. You can count on it, Zacharias. It's going to happen. But John's birth and life only prepared the way for the child whose life and death would change the course of time. See, that's what it was really all about. Preparing the way for the right child, Jesus. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's a child coming. That child that Zacharias Zacharias and and Elizabeth had, that, that child brought joy, but not like this child. This is different. This child would change the course of time forever and ever. That child was Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none under heaven, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other person who can take away the sin of the world or your sin. No other person. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't start afresh and anew. You can't do anything enough to deal with the sin that's already inherently within you. Only Jesus can do that. He alone paid sin's debt. We sing a chorus. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. I needed someone, and that someone was Jesus. This morning we read about Zacharias, Elizabeth, an angel, and John the Baptist, but it all added up to equal, it all adds up to one thing, one person, Jesus. 
See, it was all about Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. You say, but what about that angel? How awesome would that be to converse with an angel? How great was it that he gave them that wonderful news that after all those years of praying, finally they were going to have a child? And that's not what it was all about. Man, as awesome as that is and as much joy as it brought to Zacharias and Elizabeth, it wasn't about John. It wasn't about them as a couple. It was about Jesus. See, the characters involved and the circumstances surrounding the appearance may provide us with a number of practical applications or principles in which to apply to our lives, but in the end, it's still all about Jesus. Jesus is what Christmas is really all about. As our world moves even farther and farther away from Christ during Christmas, we need to herald the good news that Jesus has come and that joy is available to all those who will receive Him as their Lord and Savior. You know, as more and more emphasis is placed on romance instead of Christ's love during this holiday, we need to make sure we're telling the world it's about Jesus. I'm telling you, every time I turn around, there's a new song that's written, there's a new movie that's put out, but it's all about romance. Christmas is about romance. What about the love of Christ? We're losing it. It's being lost. As Christmas is extended into the summer months, making it a year-round event instead of a yearly celebration of the birth of Christ, we need to make sure we remind the world who and what Christmas is really all about. It's amazing, isn't it? It used to be we all anticipated Christmas. Oh my, on December the 25th, families will gather, whether it's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Then we're going to get together and it's going to be awesome as we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December the 25th. He'll say, oh, it wasn't really the day. Who cares? The fact is we celebrate His birthday. But not anymore. We celebrate it all summer long, but not His birthday Just Christmas. Christmas is celebrated year-round now. Oh, I love Christmas. It's like, oh, I love it. Oh, it's so romantic. There's movies of Christmas in July now and in August and September and October. It's so wonderful. All that's doing is taking our focus off of Him. That's all. It's no big deal. Christmas is year-round now. You can get that drink anytime you want it now. You can get that special food anytime. You can get that special movie anytime. Christmas isn't a big deal anymore. What are they really trying to do? You don't think that that's by, on purpose? That it's by coincidence or chance? The God of this world is very wise. Deceptive. As fewer people are familiar with the Bible, making Christmas more secular than ever, boy, you and I, who know the truth, must remind the world that is in darkness of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. We have to tell them where true joy comes from, and that's Jesus Christ. And this morning, I may not be an angel. My wife would probably agree to that. But I am the messenger of God today. And you know what that message is? One of joy. That's what the angel Gabriel 
said to Zacharias, guess what, I got a message for you and it's one of joy. I'm sending John. John will be your child, but not only that, John is going to partially fulfill the Old Testament prophecy found in Malachi. He's the forerunner. He's going to precede Jesus Christ. He's going to ready people for the Messiah. And there's going to be tremendous joy. Your life's miserable today, maybe. I'm not saying that misery doesn't come to believers, but maybe you've never even come to Christ and you are miserable. My friend, let me tell you, that misery can be addressed. You can experience joy. You don't have to have perfect circumstances to enjoy joy in your life, to know that your soul is settled, to know that salvation is, is done and settled, to know that heaven's your home and that Christ is your Lord and that God is your Father and that you're on your way to heaven one day. You can know that and have a joy that is within you. Your circumstances may not be perfect and you may not always feel super happy, but you can have joy bubbling up within you. But you need to first, foremost, acknowledge that Jesus is the only answer. Season's greetings are all about the Messiah, as we're going to learn. Every time those angels showed up, it was still always about Jesus. No matter how you slice it, it comes up Jesus. He's the reason for the season. Accept the testimony of John. Receive Christ as your Messiah today, so to speak. That's what they were to do. And if they would have done that, if they just said, you know what, we accept what John is saying. We recognize the need to repent and get right so that we are ready to meet the coming Messiah. And then when he showed up, Jesus, they would have received and accepted him. Jesus would have assumed his rightful place on the throne of David in Jerusalem. You say, well, where would the church fit? He'd have made it fit. But he'd have fulfilled that every prophecy would have been fulfilled at that point. He could have easily taken his place on that throne. You know what? When you and I receive Jesus, he assumes his rightful place on the throne of our lives, too. I just want to encourage you. The reason why the angel came that day is the same reason why I stand behind that pulpit. To issue a proclamation, a message that Jesus Christ is and always will be the only way, the truth, and the life. You don't know Christ today. You need to settle that. Don't leave here without Jesus as your Lord, your Savior. Oh, you're going to have to humble yourself before God. You're going to have to admit your wretched, sinful life and who and what you really are, a sinner deep down. In the very root of your being, that's what you are. That's what you'll always be. And you'll, you'll live and die that way without Jesus Christ, friend. Oh, I'm not saying you're not a good person in the world's eyes, but compared to God who's perfect and holy, none of us measure up. And we've got to come to him and we've got to confess our sin, but then be willing to repent of our sin. This idea today that we can just live however we want, do whatever we please, and God just has to accept us. As long as I'm being honest with God, you're right, I'm an idiot. You're right, I'm a sinner. You're right, I'm being stupid with my family. You're right, I'm being ignorant toward all the things that are right and holy and just. I don't, I'm doing all the wrong things, but it's okay because we're all sinners. 
Friend, that attitude stinks. It's not scriptural. It's not true. It's unholy. And if you think stink is a bad word, friend, let me tell you what you're doing is far worse. It is a stench in the nostrils of God to think that you can just go ahead and confess sin and say, I'm just a sinner. I don't have to ever change because my neighbor's a sinner too. And that preacher over there, he's got his problems, I'm sure. Well, listen, if God's revealed something in your life as a believer today and you, are, you acknowledge that it's a problem and you're doing nothing about it, let me tell you something. You better hope he doesn't come back. It talks about the terror of the Lord. We forgot about that part. I'm not here to scare you into anything, but I'm going to tell you this. He is still holy. And he wants and demands more from us than our neighbors do and our families even do. Not that he isn't just, not that he isn't gracious and merciful. He is. But we better watch our attitude toward him because he's not a mere man. He's not just somebody's cousin or somebody's son. He's God, the creator. He's the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you, if you know him, don't just admit your guilt. Change your behavior. And if you don't know him as Savior and Lord, he's worth knowing. He's worth knowing. He is worth knowing. Father, we come to you. We need you tonight, or this morning. There's no doubt, Lord, that you brought great joy when you brought that tremendous news to Zacharias and his dear wife, Elizabeth. 